Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hey, I'm Stacey Sims, the host of Diabetes Connections, a weekly podcast. Diabetes Connections is the radio news show I always wanted to hear. Conversations, not just with inspiring people, because, you know, that's great, but also with newsmakers, a place to ask hard questions and learn what makes companies and groups that we rely on really tick. I started the podcast back in 2015 because... I had had enough of my regular radio news job. I was in local radio and TV for 20 years, and I was really ready to do something more meaningful than news, weather, and traffic on the 10s. My son was diagnosed with type 1 as a toddler 11 years ago, and while I do share personal stories on the show, Diabetes Connections isn't really about us. I am not going to tell you what to eat or how to dose, but I will share incredible stories, everyday stories and news and information that makes a difference in our community. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday on every podcast app and at diabetes-connections.com. Spend an hour a week with people who get it. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. And my very special guest this afternoon is Chris Clement. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Uh, well, I'm super excited to to chat with you. Uh, it's, a, it's rare that I get to do a sort of like pre-interview uh, chat that we had a couple weeks ago. But I'm really glad we did that. It was, it was good to meet you and I'm really, I've been looking forward to this interview. Oh, likewise. Me too. It's, it's going to be fun. So, Chris, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you uh, and your diagnosis story, and uh, let's kind of dive in from there. All right. Well, um, I am about 20 years into, well, actually a little over 20 years into diabetes now. Um, I, uh, well, I, I've lived in Utah most of my life. Um, you know, we, we, my family moved to Utah when I was about seven years old. And, you know, just had a normal, fine upbringing and everything. Um, in, in high school, um, suddenly I just started getting really sick. Like uh, anybody with type 1 diabetes knows how it, how it feels and what goes on. But, you know, I, I think I uh, kind of went downhill for about a month and really started showing up for about two weeks before my actual diagnosis. So I'm a senior in high school. Um, I thought I was just depressed. I thought I was malnourished. So I, you know, for the last couple of weeks of, of getting sick, I was, I was trying to eat a lot more. Um, like I was drinking tons of juice, trying to just get a lot of vitamins and things. Um, and I, you know, my school was suffering. I, uh, I remember particularly one time when I, 
I had a class that was down a, fly, a long flight of stairs in the high school, and I, you know, I would walk. I would walk down the stairs. I'd be the last one in there. Uh, I'd pretty much just put my head down and couldn't focus on anything. About ten minutes, like no, maybe five minutes before the end of class, I would leave the class just to start getting up the stairs. Bell would ring. Everyone would pass me, you know, and then I'd finally get to the top of the stairs. I was just so slow and sick. Um, I. I weighed about 145 pounds in high school on a you know normal day, but at the end of it there, before diagnosis, I actually got down to 114 pounds. You know, and that's with that's with eating a ton and you know loading up on sugar. I did, should have been gaining weight. Did anybody that you came in contact with? Because obviously those are strange. Um, you know, symptoms. There, it's funny you think a little bit. A, an overly emotional sort of emo, uh, depressed teenager might exhibit those exact uh, those exact symptoms, just maybe not as heightened. So, mm-hmm. did anybody ask about you? Was it you know what? Did, how did how did your friends, teachers, peers, you know, parents, family react? That's a great question. Um, I I did have a couple of really uh, important interactions. So. My mother at one point actually asked me, like just sat me down and gently asked me if I was on drugs. She asked me if I was like doing heroin or something. And I, of course, you know, I had the high blood sugar rage and I kind of flipped out at her and um, went on my way. And then the day before my diagnosis, a good friend of mine named Nick, he he came up to me and just said, hey man, something's wrong. I really think you should go to a doctor. And I, I, I mean, I was so unrational. I, I laid into him. I told him where to go and how to get there. I mean, that was really <laughs> mean. So that night, I'm home, and my mom comes into my room and says, I'm really worried um, that you might have type 1 diabetes. And turns out, I didn't really realize it until she told me that day, but he actually, her father actually had type 1 diabetes. Um, so she said, I scheduled an appointment for the doctor tomorrow and you're going whether you like it or not. And I just kind of broke down in tears and said, okay, I'll go. Um, about a half hour later, there was a knock on the door and it was my friend Nick. He'd come over to tell my parents that it was really important to take me to the doctor. So um, that, was a, that was a really interesting interaction. Other than that, you know, other kids at school, I think – wondered what was going on but nobody really confronted me man shout out to nick uh, first of all like that's a really good friend you know yeah um i, I don't you don't I, I don't often hear many stories about you know friends like that so that's uh you know there's a lot of people i think out there with the, a lot of type ones with really good non-type one friends uh you know yeah. who were their friends either before or you know, just in general. And I think, uh, man, that's, that's the surefire sign of a good friend in a tough time, even after you told him off, so it's still coming back. Absolutely. And we're still friends to this day. We uh, occasionally play music together. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. so, uh, you're, you kind of have this, uh, rubber meets the road day, uh, and then you go to the doctor and you, uh, what what happened next? What was the uh, you know senior in high school? That was about I guess two years uh, after I was diagnosed. So I kind of know mm-hmm. some of those teenage angst, high blood sugar, rage moments that you yeah. go through. Um, what was next for you? 
Well, so next the next morning, um, I got up. I ate breakfast. I actually ate toast and bottled peaches. It was you know a pretty high carb breakfast. Uh, we drove to the doctor, and it's just the family doctor. Um, by the time I, I just walked out to the car, we drove there. It was about a ten minute drive from the from the car into the doctor's office. Um, my mom had to kind of take my arm. I was just losing my steam. Um, then we had our we you know went in and they he he tested my blood, took a bunch of blood, walked out. I kind of I kind of saw it coming before he came back in just because of what my mom had told me, but. The doctor came back in and just said, you have type 1 diabetes, um, and we need to get you across the street to the emergency room immediately because I was fading fast. My blood sugar was, I believe, in the 700s, um, and he gave me a little insulin shot, I, I think. I was start, I kind of have vague memories after this point, but uh, I just remember, I remember taking a moment to just sink and then kind of catch myself and you know i i turned to the doctor and i said all right how much do how much longer do i have to live i i didn't know anything about diabetes i thought that what he was telling me is i was going to be dead like in a couple of years or something like that um and, and so because those moments after diagnosis are are very uh, i think critical to the development of a of a person with diabetes of a type 1 diabetic so I know your memory you, you said was a little bit hazy. Do you remember what the general rhetoric was of the doctors? Uh, you know, were you going to be okay? Uh, you know, what was the rest of your life going to be like? Do you remember what they told you? Uh, somewhat. I he did he did turn to me and say, "You're not gonna you're not gonna die." Like meaning not like right, I didn't. It right wasn't now. a two year thing. Yeah, he said a lot of people because of technology, the way it's going these days, and you know we're. I, I don't really remember off the top of my head when like home glucose monitoring really happened, but that was in the eighties, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is within a decade or so anyway, but, um, he said that people live, you know, long, healthy lives with diabetes these days. And that was reassuring. Um, I had known one person with type one diabetes before that, which was a friend, a friend of my sister named Wendy. And, you know, she had had it since she was a kid. So she lived through a lot of the, times when you know monitoring at home and self-care wasn't really well established and so that was kind of part of what got me worried is she was kind of in poor health for a while um so from there uh my mom i basically threw me over her shoulder and we walked back over to the car and drove across the street like to the hospital and from the car just you know minutes later into the emergency room she she drugged me and she was dragging me in there i i couldn't walk i was fading so fast i could hardly see my my vision was beyond blurry to a point where i just could not see um they checked me in threw me in a wheelchair and rushed me up to a room and i started passing out uh, i remember them shoving needles in my arms trying to find a vein that wasn't collapsed to put an iv in me uh, which they finally did and then i fell asleep um, woke up, I don't know how many hours later, but when I opened my eyes, I could see more clear than I'd seen in, you know, in at least a couple of months, like my vision was back and it was, it was really cool. <laughs> and, and, you know, for, for somebody who, you know, cause I don't really remember my, my vision being very affected, but what was that like? Uh, you know, that, that sense of, 
Because for me, when they gave me that shot of insulin in the hospital and filled me up with a saline bag, which my body just drank like like a sponge. Me too. uh, And I just remember just see this there. They all every nurse or doctor commented on how fast the bag was being absorbed, which was a weird thing to me to remember. (laughs) But I just remember feeling so much better that. I knew I was going to be okay, and I, and or or at least that this was what was wrong with me. Um, right. Did you get that sense uh, when you opened your eyes? You know, I I, I think I did. Um, it was a huge relief you know, surviving it because I really thought that I was. I, I kind of got a, a feeling that I was I was checking out, you know. But uh, you know, I got there just in time. So being able to come back from that and open my eyes and see and remember what it was like to actually see because it was so bad visually. Um, Yeah, it was, it was reassuring. It was kind of, you know, a big deep breath. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a, a a second chance at at life. What, What, you know, what a gift. I think it's interesting to me, you know, how fast you gain your strength back or, or, or at least how fast I gained my strength back from the diagnosis mm-hmm. um i was talking to someone on another interview the other day and i i remember not practicing basketball like my like they kind of held me out of practice the first few days after i was back but yeah. like somebody threw me a ball like i was just in the gym during like a passing period and someone threw me a ball like four days later and i just dunked it really hard <laughs> and like I was just like, oh my gosh! Like I feel so good. I feel so much better. So yeah. for you, what what was that like? You know, once you were down almost thirty pounds, which is a big percentage of your your body weight at that time. As you left the hospital, moved on with your life, went back to school. You know, what do you? What was what was your outlook like? Oh, it was so good. I mean, so much clarity. The thing is, is when you're stuck in that cycle of high blood sugar, and it's been eating you away for so long and you know at the time I didn't realize it but since then I can identify how that works with my brain but you know after after all that time and all that struggle with with my brain you know having normalized blood sugar I I kind of didn't even realize how much energy I was missing you know and outlook on life was tons better I started actually excelling in school which I never really done uh, I guess I had a new appreciation for life and for, you know, all the aspects of it that I hadn't really paid attention to, attention to before. That's really interesting, and I don't think I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with a with a type one who who said that to that extent. You know that mm-hmm. they, you know, personality really changed because I think. You know, from all of the, uh, you know, almost a hundred one-on-one stories that I've heard now to this point, um, yours is really the the closest in terms of, you know, you were, you felt like at least you saw the light at the end of the tunnel um, Mm -hmm. and kind of came back from that, or it definitely came back from that. So, yeah, you know, that's a different, that's a very unique perspective that you, you know, actually, you know, stop, you started applying yourself more in school, started to, you know, really push things forward. Where did that, where did that take you? You know, I, I was, I was kind of like bullied as a kid. I, I mentioned this to you last uh, time we talked, but I had, I had Tourette syndrome undiagnosed. So I, I had all kinds of other things going on and that I didn't even really know about, but Really, 
I think the experience, um, it really just, it boosted me, uh, to, a I guess, I don't know how to explain it, but it did change me. It made me more, it made me more aware of life, you know, wasn't, it wasn't just coasting like I had been before. And that's such an easy thing. It's such an easy thing to, to do, right. To just coast, especially when mm-hmm. you're, especially when you're a kid. Uh oh! Yeah, uh, I lost a little bit of uh, I, I may have lost my recording here. Uh oh! Nope, still good. Okay, good. <laughs> um, that's such an easy thing to lose lose sight of as a kid, even a young adult. I think like, um, maybe it, you know, if I'm gonna sit on the get off my lawn uh <laughs> type of perspective, I think you know that's a really big challenge for pe- young people today. Is that it's so easy to just coast. Uh, and there's yeah. so many options that you can just kind of get by and, and do fairly well your, for yourself, um, mm-hmm. without having, you know, you know, a definitive goal or opinion or anything. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that be that awareness, um, you know, that being that moment and, you know, you talk about, you hear a lot about near death experiences or NDEs that people talk about where they, you know, they wake up and their whole life is different afterwards. Their whole yeah. perspective has changed. And it seems like that was a little bit like that for you, but more of just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it absolutely was like that for me. I mean, I was almost gone. Um, they told me five more minutes and I would have been in a, like in an actual coma. And it's hard to, you know, I don't know how you come back from that. I, I don't know what that's like. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, what, a, what a gift, what, you know, what an awesome thing. Uh, and, you know, and I think, you know, it's interesting too. your, your parents and your, and your friend, Nick, like they were sensing for some reason, I don't know, they were sensing that, right. They had come to the end. They were, they were intervening. Um, Absolutely. Because they, they knew. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, it wasn't just my friend, Nick. I mean, he was the one that was vocal about it in school. But, you know, when I was actually, I was in the, I think you had mentioned you were in the hospital like three or four days. I was as well. And I was there, you know, I, one cool thing was being diagnosed at age 18. um, I was kind of treated as a youth, which has more benefits as far as diabetes education than, than adults who are diagnosed. So I was kind of treated as a youth in that situation but then moved right into being an adult but my diabetes educator was there every day um i believe i i strongly believe in inpatient diabetes education i I think you can really you know hit the ground running when when you have that opportunity oh i totally agree i i was in similar boat i i was uh diagnosed on new year's day so not only was i and and i was 16 um and a, a pair, you know, a pretty mature 16 in terms of like lo- the way I looked at the world and my dreams and things. But, you know, I got the pediatric diabetes education and I was also during the holidays. So there weren't that many people there. Uh, and so I had the whole holiday crew to myself, basically in the endocrine wing. And so they would just spend a ton of time with me. And mm-hmm. I, st- I still remember, you know, a lot of the different interactions. Um, and I think of people today, you know, you hear horror stories like, my doctor gave me a DVD that was in a different language and just said, good luck. Uh, and you know, it's like, man, like no wonder these people are having a tough time. Uh, wow. and so, you know, I think now, you know, when I meet 
type ones who were diagnosed, you know, in, in their mid twenties or even further later than that. Um, and then, you know, yeah, my doctor gave me prescriptions and kind of told me what to do, but then he sort of sent me on my way. Um, and I just, you know, remember the benefit of, you know, having to count my carbs with someone while I ordered my food and talk yeah. about ratios and all those different things. You know, my, my sister, my youngest sister actually was diagnosed with type one diabetes. I think it's, I think it's five years ago, maybe six, forgive me sister if I got that wrong but I was uh you know this is this is so recently I I I was no I guess it would have been it would have been five years ago she was diagnosed she had her fifth anniversary this this fall um but she didn't get any of that she went into the to the doctor like on her own because she had recognized some symptoms because of my experience that she remembered um she went in asked to be you know to be checked they kind of looked her over and said, you don't have diabetes because she's, you know, because they, they diagnosed based on stigma a lot of the time for, for type two diabetes. Sure. Um, so, you know, she kind of pushed them on that and they eventually said, fine. They took her in. The doctor said, okay, go home and I'll call you when I have results. And a couple hours later, the doctor said, you have diabetes, um, go pick up these prescriptions and, take them home. No explanation. So she, she ended up going home with a pen of Lantus. Like that's what they gave her. Hmm. And her blood sugar was, you know, I, I believe at least in the 500s, if not 600. So, you know, adults get treated differently. She had to, she had to go demand it. And I ended up going out to her, her, meet her that night. And I actually just gave her some of my Humalog because she needed it and taught her how to inject herself with this scary needle, you know? What was that? What was that like for you guys, uh, as brother and sister? Um, there's something about having a sibling that you can relate to in this way. That's quite an incredible. I, I, you know, it's it's sad that she has to go through it. I I know very well what it's like after all this time, and it. I'm not excited about that, nor is she. But, you know, with that positive outlook that I guess my family tends to have, it was kind of a at least I have you. You know. Yeah, um, we've been really close because of this. We were close anyway, but we've become even more close because of it. It's it's funny, like even people who aren't family, and that's why I'm curious. And you know, I really hope that my brother or sister don't get type one. But absolutely, um, the just the all, all the things I have in common, and like the camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever it is, with someone who has type one. Um, I always wonder how much more magnified that would be with somebody who's your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I always ask. You know, when if it's a if it's a family where a couple of children are diagnosed, you know, there's a lot of oh, I can't even imagine <laughs> having two kids with type one diabetes in a home that you have to take care of, and you know, just the expenses alone, let alone the the life experience for those children. You know, and those parents are real heroes, you know. As far as we're concerned, we're adults, so we can handle our stuff. But that, uh, I guess that camaraderie and that support system is extremely helpful. Oh, I I often think, you know, I just I put try to put myself in the shoes of parents of young type 1s, whether, you know, whether they're 3 years old or, a, you know, newborn or, you know, 7 or 8 or even teenagers. Mm-hmm you know, kids are hard enough as it is. 
diabetes is hard, <laughs> hard enough as it is, you know, throw yeah. both of those in the mix and you got yourself, you know, a tough puzzle. So like you yeah, said, absolutely. I totally believe what you said, you know, type one parents are definitely heroes. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more. Uh, let's kind of fast forward more to the modern day, to the present day rather. Um, and talk a little bit about Diabetic Inc. Cool. So, yeah, Diabetic Inc. is something that uh, I started for a couple of reasons. Um, one was to clear up some misinformation about diabetes, which is that people with diabetes can't get tattoos because we don't heal properly and things like that. And the other is to encourage people struggling to own their diabetes um, because there's something about wearing it that you know, has helped me with my mental health. Um, so I mentioned to you a little bit that, uh, ever since, you know, my diagnosis, there were, there have been periods of, you know, ups and downs where I'm feeling motivated, feeling great, and then feeling just defeated. Um, but I would say for the most part, I've felt defeated. I've put on a good face, but I've always kind of felt burdened by it. I felt burnt out for years. I actually went, um, a whole year once where I didn't test my blood sugar at all. I just, when I'd feel awful from high blood sugar, I would take some insulin and take a little more until I felt okay and then chase a low. You know, like it was a really, really dark times. Um, and of course, I've had great support from family, from my wife. She's She's been amazing. But I didn't really let her in. I didn't let anybody in. Um, eventually I started to let people in like my, especially my wife and she's, she, she knows as much about diabetes as I do now. I mean, she's, she's dedicated, but, uh, you know, that's what's kind of helped me hang on. But where I started to really flourish is, um, I started working, f um, in diabetes. Uh, I, I've been, I was social media manager for, um, a website called diabetic connect for uh, about four years. Um, and, through that, I've connected with people online. I've learned a lot about about diabetes that I didn't even know existed. I didn't realize what I didn't know, you know. Um, but one of the things I came across was um, an article on diabetes mine. I believe the guy's name is Will Dubois. It's yeah. Dubois or Dubois, yeah. Um, so he had written an article about about diabetes and tattoos, and so I read through that, and I'd always been interested in tattoos, but you know, was under the impression I simply couldn't do it. And uh, after I read his article, clearing a lot of things up and finding out about uh, Darren Brass, who was on Miami Inc., I was I kind of made this decision. Like I've always struggled with my diabetes. I, I it's it it's on it's on the back burner. I could die at any time from it, but it's on the back burner. That's ridiculous. So what I kind of decided was I'm going to go get a diabetic tattoo. Um, I'm going to do it so that I'm wearing it so that it's a constant reminder. There's no hiding from it. You know, I don't want to hide from it anymore. So I made the decision to do it and I went for it. And one thing I noticed was that I couldn't really find a great place to find examples that I could look at. I didn't know much about tattoos. I didn't know about the different styles and things like that. So I did a whole bunch of research, uh, figured out what I wanted to get, where I wanted to get it and the artist I wanted to do it for me. And then I went went for it and kind of kept going. That's so cool. So Diabetic Inc. is the is just the uh, 
the sum of all your sort of, sort of searching and research and um, kind of destigmatizing the uh, the rumor that you know diabetics can't have tattoos. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted it to kind of be a hub for people who are who are looking for ideas, people who are interested in the idea, um, so they can find good examples and you know make make good informed choices about it. And also to kind of, uh, I wrote an article for um, Insulin Nation a couple of years back, talking about my experience and sharing some tips for people who want to go and get a diabetic tattoo. Uh, people with diabetes who just want to get a tattoo, really. Um, it's kind of some safety things to think about. Um, so, And I also kind of use it as a platform to share my thoughts on diabetes. And, you know, when when technology comes up, I like to kind of dig into that a little bit. Um, recently, I don't know if you've seen it. I'm sure you have. But there's been a, a video going around. It's been pretty viral on social media about some color-changing ink. Yep. Um you know, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea. So I, I dug into it, and the further I looked, I realized it's just a research project by some people at MIT. It's not something that's going to market. They say they have no intention of really doing that. But it's been it's been funny. This There's been a huge flood of people coming to Diabetic Inc. to ask me, like send me direct messages to say, where can I get this ink? Where can I buy this ink? Yeah, so it, it was it was funny like the amount because that that went pretty viral. I guess what nine months, maybe a year ago, and like mm-hmm. uh, I had four or five friends in that sort of period of time where they would just drop it on my Facebook wall or something like, "Hey, have you seen this? Check this out." <laughs> same yeah. same thing with like the the Apple Watch was going to track your blood sugar article, which yep. which was basically just like, "Hey, Dexcom has an Apple Watch app," mm-hmm. which is yep. which is awesome and yeah and, and amazing, but. It was just a little bit of that like clickbait, false advertising type thing. Absolutely, and it it it's it sets unrealistic expectations that people kind of latch on to. It's it's unfortunate, I, in my opinion, that that thing, you know, even got made. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting project. It should have been released as a paper, maybe, but I don't know. It's strange. Yeah, because it turned into that cool video, and then everybody was sharing it, and now it's like, oh, maybe we can have this thing, and we don't. Right. Exactly. That we were maybe never really in, intended to to know. About. Exactly. So yeah, I like to kind of use diabetic ink to to clear things like that up, and you know, some people wonder like if they should get something elaborate or get like a a medic alert. You know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth debate out there about whether or not it can be used as a valid medical alert in place of medical jewelry and things right. like that. Um, so how many tattoos do you have now? Oh, uh, let's see. I just finished a bunch of new ones a few weeks ago. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Nice. So, you know, that journey for you not not only, you know, kind of has has taken you somewhere from a mental and a an acceptance perspective, but also, you know, changed you, you know, from a tattoo perspective. Absolutely. And you know, something else I'll say about that is I hear a lot from people with diabetes that there are a lot of like body issues that people have, meaning the way they they perceive their bodies, the relationship they have with their bodies, and how they see themselves. You know, um, there are there. I don't know. It's I just part of part of this for me is like owning my body, doing things that that I like, so that. You know, I guess in a way it kind of deflects some of those negative self-perceptions. 
Well, I think, you know, you, you spend so much time focused on your body. like, And, you know, I think for us, even different than, you know, women, I think is even more, uh, even more the case. But as a diabetic, you know, you have, it's, it's kind of like what we talked about with kids and diabetes. Kids are hard enough anyway, like body image is hard enough anyway. And then you throw a couple extra things on it um, and you can really get in trouble. And also, you know, diabetes is, is gross, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's, it's funny to say that because like, and so, and I love diabetes Instagram. Like it's, it's where I live, but, uh, it can be gross. Like we, you know, we got to sticky, you know, stick ourselves and there's always like needles you know, and blood, needles and blood and like skin tack and, you know, all yeah. the, you know, and you know, pinching and weird, you know, weird places to stick ourselves. Anyway, it's fine, and and I accept it, and I, and I and I don't mean that those posts are gross necessarily. It's just totally, like it's a gross disease, right? So, um, you know, I think that those things are are certainly uh, in play, and I like that. Um, you know, you're looking at this as an opportunity to also talk about those issues, um, and you know, really going into you know body acceptance and self love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's done for me, to a large degree. Uh, I'm also glad that because I have two tattoos, uh, and I'm really glad that there wasn't as much uh, googling that took place ten years ago when I when <laughs> I got them. So I, you know, didn't even. I think my mom brought it up. She's like, "Are you like are you know, are you going to be good with that and with your diabetes?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not even worried about it." <laughs> right. Do you do you happen to remember? I guess what your A1C was like at the time when you started getting yours. Uh, yeah, I think I got my first tattoo when I was 19. So my A1C, I was probably still a little bit honeymooning. I was like a, in the best shape of my life athlete wise. So I was, you know, in the, in the six range in the, in that awesome. six, 6.5 range. Awesome. That's one of the, one of the things I put out there in in my, um, I guess my list of things to think about is, you know, try to, try to, go when you have a good A1C, it's going to, you know, lessen the risks and things yeah. like that with infection. I think that goes almost for everything that's sort of on the line, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Do you uh, do any of your tattoos like uh, s- symbolically illustrate part of your uh, diabetes journey? Yeah, two of my two of my um, tattoos I specifically are specifically diabetes tattoos like actual diabetic ink so my first tattoo um i sent a i sent a picture over um i don't know if you've seen it or not but my first my first tattoo was kind of the the profile image on 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 my facebook page and on tumblr and everywhere else it's it's actually a diabetes tattoo it represents the um the uh you know the snake in the staff type of thing that's on the medic alert and it's it's an American traditional style and it has banners that say diabetic type one. So that's my first one. And my second one is one of the most recent that I did that I just got finished. And it's actually a, it's a bison. And I, I wanted to get that to represent survival, you know, like against, against the odds of survival. Um, you know, the idea of how quickly things can go wrong with diabetes. Um, I wanted to get something to kind of, signify 20 years of survival and hopefully 20 more at least <laughs> yeah no kidding I, you know i think that, that, that that's an interesting comparison an interesting metaphor like the bison sort of a resilience yeah in the face of extinction i'm on your i'm on your tumblr right now i'm looking at the the tattoo really cool really cool work the uh 
the diabetic type one, uh, the snake and the staff. Very neat. Yeah, the artist did a really great job with it. And the the bison, I haven't I haven't really put out there much. I, I put it on my personal uh, Instagram, but I haven't put it out on my diabetic diabetic ink channels. Well, I look forward to uh, to when you do. I'm sure it's uh, it's also great work, uh, really good. Uh, you know, there's nothing more. You know, there. I will say this too. There's a lot of, uh, and I try not to sound snobby when I say this, but like poor design choices uh, for some diabetes things, whether it's t-shirts yeah. or logos or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. And so it's it just makes me feel so good whenever I see somebody make like a really cool design, like very artsy, very like well thought out uh, project. So. Congrats! Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, f- you mentioned uh, that you're going to post the uh, the bison on your personal Instagram. What's uh, what's a good place for people to get in touch with you, uh, whether Diabetic Inc. or for you personally? Um, well, I can. I'm I'm on Twitter. Um, my handle is Twitchy Beaties. Um, it's uh, I I like to consider myself a diabetes advocate as well as a Tourette's advocate. Um, it's another very misunderstood disease. So, um, yeah, I'm Twitchy Beaties on on Twitter, um, and I'm I'm pretty easy to find on anywhere you go to Diabetic Inc. on on Facebook, just Facebook.com/slash Diabetic Inc. and then DiabeticInc.tumblr.com. Um, those are probably a couple of the best places to find me. Well, and and I'll uh, absolutely include links to uh, to all your sites in the show notes. Um, cool. Kind of as we start to wrap up, I I always ask this question, and uh, I know you you've listened to some episodes, so I'm, I'm sure you've maybe heard it at the end. Uh, and my context is always the same. So uh, you're in an airport, uh, and you your gate's about to close in in 30 seconds, and you run across someone who has either been recently diagnosed or is struggling with their, with their type one diabetes. Uh, what's the one thing you tell them? Uh, and I think for you, you know, coming back both from a, from a diagnosis standpoint, you know, being very much on the brink, uh, and then also, you know, dealing with the, the highs and lows of, of emotionally living with, with type one, what do you, what's the one thing you tell them? Um, the, the one thing I would, I would tell them is, and I've actually told people this who have been recently diagnosed, uh, not in the airport, but I, I found people at the airport, but as far as people recently diagnosed is absolutely find community, whether that's people in real life, whether that's the online community, which is fairly easy to find and start digging into, find community, uh, having people who truly get it and have experience are such a valuable thing to have in your life um there's there's a great twitter chat called dsma which is diabetic uh diabetes social media advocacy it's hashtag dsma that's on every wednesday night i don't get to make it to that very often because of my schedule but i do every time i have an opportunity um it's a really great place to be to to uh network with other people with diabetes yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think getting involved has been the biggest thing that's helped me with just, you know, I, I didn't wasn't necessarily struggling or I wouldn't consider myself struggling with type 1, but uh, I didn't realize how much easier I could make it on myself if I just got involved with the community. And yeah. it's just been so great since then. 
Yeah, I've made some great friends that I've met in real life since I started engaging uh, with the diabetes online community. Some of them are very close friends of mine now who have changed my life, changed my diabetes management, um, introduced me to, to techniques and tools that I didn't even know existed. It's very cool. And I think, you know, the the community itself, there's so much negativity going on uh, online these days. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the diabetes community is one for me that, uh, that stands out as a, a sort of the anomaly, uh, which is really great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Um, I, and, you know, you, you made time for two separate interviews uh, for us to kind of talk through things and then and then today. Uh, so thank you so much for giving your time and for being such a great voice uh, in the community. And, uh, and I just really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for reaching out, Rob. It's, this is a pleasure. Well, it's my pleasure. And I, uh, you know, this is, this is my favorite thing. So, uh, you know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. That's for sure. Please do.